Welcome to the Growth Elevated Leadership Podcast with Julian Castelli. Each week, we talk with senior tech leaders to explore stories and insights about the challenges involved with growing technology companies. We hope that these stories can help you become a better leader and help you navigate your own growth journey. Hello. Today, we are going to talk with Bassam Selem from Atlas RTX. I've known Bassam for a long time. Uh, I've worked with him in the corporate world. He's been a successful corporate executive at large companies. And then he went and said, I want to try what I think is one of the hardest things in the world. I want to try to create a startup from scratch. And uh, I was fortunate enough to, to be able to, to watch you, Bassam, on this journey. Uh, you, you, you've achieved incredible success with Atlas RTX, recently having a successful exit. Congratulations. Thank you. And I'm so excited to, to interview you and, and, and have you share some of the learnings along the way with our community. Welcome, Bassam. Hey, thank you so much, Julian. It's wonderful to, to be chatting with you here. And before we get started, uh, and I know I've thanked you privately before, but I haven't thanked you publicly, and I'll use this opportunity to thank you publicly for your uh, your impact on me over the years. Um, uh, we had so many walks around the neighborhood at times that were uh, pretty dark sometimes, if you uh, if you remember the topics. And uh, you, you were you you were always uh, pragmatic, uh, calm, empathetic, and I so appreciated that. And it was that reason that really motivated me to uh, invite you to join our advisory board where you were absolutely critical. So thank you so much for uh, your role in this company's growth. Well, it was my my pleasure and my privilege, Bassam. It was, it was exciting to watch your journey. It was exciting to learn from what you were doing. And, and if I was able to help in any way, I'm, I'm grateful for the opportunity. Thank you. Thank you. So Bassam, Atlas RTX, help us understand what, it, you know, uh, before we get into tell us the founding story because you know you you had a successful corporate career and you had lots of options but you know that first walk you're like julian i want to start something from scratch and i was like man you've got some big balls like, crazy? Like, what made you want to do that <laughs> i appreciate that and I'll, I'll try to keep this part brief even though for me this truly is the, the, the most meaningful uh, portion of the story and that is that i was so passionate about being what i describe as a professor in industry i i I really should have been a professor, but I, I loved working. It's not with too late. It's not too late. True. Um, <laughs> I like working with entrepreneurs and, and executives and, and coaching them uh, way before it was uh, quite as on vogue as it is uh, as it is today. But I quickly appreciated the fact that while I had seen and experienced and participated in, let's call it high single digits to well over 100 or 200 million in, in, uh, in revenue, I'd never seen the story at zero. I'd never experienced it. So I don't know, I didn't know what to do. I didn't know what it would take to go from zero to 100K to a million and, and, and so on. And the genesis, the objective really behind Atlas was, let me experience that firsthand. Let me go through all of those experiences so as I can sit across from an entrepreneur and now know exactly the shoes that they were, uh, they were in earlier. Uh, so I picked B2B. SaaS because all of my experience had been in B2B SaaS. And the problem I decided to tackle was a problem that I felt was riding on some macro trends societally and, and with consumers. And, and the trend at the time was consumers had migrated to messaging. We were all texting with one another and I could see it with younger generations than millennials. Now Gen Z don't even text, right? Gen Z, right, <laughs> they right. moved on. They just Snapchat or something. They're, they're, yeah, they're, they're doing other things. But yeah. uh, 
I, I saw the move to messaging and we in the business world had not migrated. We were still phone calls and email. And you I remember that. you embraced the domain because I, all of a sudden every, every communication from Bassam was on text. Every <laughs> scheduling was on text. You pushed me to become more tech savvy. And I remember some of your early chatbot automation at some conferences that were doing it via text. And that's exactly what you were pioneering. You know, how do you move to the medium where the people are, right? You're exactly right. You're exactly right. And that is what le led us to actually, as we sort of tried to tackle not just a macro trend, but a specific business problem. It's how do we help businesses engage their customers? So our clients are B2C, uh, mm -hmm. we are a B2B business, but how do we help B2C companies engage in these modern, what we refer to as real-time experiences, experiences that are immediate, 24-7, 365, convenient over messaging, uh, over any language and, and, and so on. And we decided to tackle the top end of the funnel, marketing and sales, mm -hmm. uh, and not service, uh, although we have an increasing number of service use cases now, but candidly, most of our success was in marketing and sales use cases. And, and, and you're basically deploying chatbots, or, or today you call them digital assistants, right? Exactly. We it's an evolution. It, exactly. We deploy marketing digital assistants, inside sales digital assistants, field sales digital assistants that have capabilities, experiences that they can deliver to an end customer, whether it's an experience on a website to help educate you on what Purdue University's uh, Graduate School of Business has to offer uh, or what uh, dr horton as a home builder what homes they have in your area that are four bedrooms and under a certain price point and and you're in that critical sales path where time and responsiveness and attention to the customer are so critical so that was one of the things i was most impressed with obviously we're all seeing chatbots and now digital assistants come come out there but i i haven't found any use case that's more relevant and an ability to demonstrate value better than than trying to close the sales cycle and give the give the customer when they're in that window the information they need to make a decision and, and hopefully say yes to one of your offerings you're exactly right julian i mean it was sort of how can we increase conversion shorten sales cycles that's what our client wants um, mm -hmm. candidly from a customer's perspective from an end customer their customer's perspective consumer. how exactly the consumer's perspective how can i get a comfortable easy experience that i'm now used to uh, i i very few people actually want to talk to a salesperson right um they fact, want, like, yeah yeah it, it's right. like one of the last things i want to do exactly if you want to buy a car i want my questions <laughs> answered uh, you know, and, and that used to be websites and then, then there, there was, you know, d different ways to do that. But, but now with conversational AI, you know, you were at the very forefront of that. Of course, it's exploding recently with chat GPT, but, but you, you've been in that business now for six years. Right. And so it, sure. give us the endpoints. You started in 2016 at zero. Uh, yes. And thank then you. You, you just recently had an exit last year. Congratulations. Just give us, give us the front end bookends and tell us about the journey. The, Journey. Thank you. Uh, you know, I consider 2016 years zero because uh, you know it was truly, truly the get up and uh, and go year. Uh, but we uh, scaled from zero to the high single digits in in millions, 
and uh, were acquired uh, last year by Nice, uh, which is a, a very congratulations. Thank you very much. A great company and one that had acquired In Contact here in Utah mm -hmm. uh, some five years ago or so, something like that, seven years ago. Right. Um, so a, a great uh, a company. big big call center company, right? To call center technology. I exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Um, well, that's that's so you what you did the zero to one, the one to high single digits, the exit, and you did this all bootstrapped. I mean, that's incredible. What do you mind? Do you always want to do it bootstrapped? And and I'm sure you had options. I know you had options for capital. You know, give us a little history on the bootstrap. Uh, thanks very much. And you know, I feel like claiming bootstrap would be a little bit of a cheat because we were fortunate to have already been in our mid 40s, so we. We were able to uh, sell uh, some of our nest egg and and seed the company. Uh, from, but that's that's, that's that's founder investment. No 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 uh, third party capital. But no third party exactly. I, I um, although I, I I won't mind taking the compliment of uh, of bootstrapping, uh, even though we we were uh, we did have some seed funding uh, internally. But the idea was, I wanted to make sure that certainly my time, but my team's time was focused on building great products for our clients. And I had uh, all too often witnessed my peers uh, who spent 90% of their time out on the road with investors, mm -hmm. with whether they were the existing investors or the new investors. And I just didn't want to waste time on that. That's not helping me build the business. So the objective was, let me see if I can prove, software is a fortunate place you can prove this, that we can build a product, get the business so it's moving a flywheel and then when the flywheel is moving down the road at some point, uh, we would uh, consider external funding. And actually, it was that process seven years later that ultimately resulted in, in an acquisition instead of a... a when you get product market fit, the investors come like bees to honey, right? Exactly. <laughs> Although, let me be uh, upfront, and, and I think you know this, uh, you know, the last couple of years were not exactly the uh, the best for, uh, for, for startups uh, seeking funding. So it's you know, we missed uh, we missed the uh, the the amazing bubble. Maybe that, the perfect, uh, perfect sweet spot. But yeah, hey, look, yeah. the, the, to, to to bootstrap a company, get to to the size you did, and have an exit. You know, you're you're in that that rare 10, 15 percent of startups that make it. So that's that's why you're here. That's why we have so much to learn from you. And I'll just you know say again, congratulations. Just I hope you recognize what an achievement that that is. That's kind of you. Thank you, Julian. I'm 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 really grateful to be uh, to be at this uh, at this point, and I'm I'm very proud of what we've done. So let's go there. You you know, so many different elements of success, but as as we've talked about, there are ups and downs. It's a roller coaster. Um, but you know, along the journey, what makes you most proud uh, in in those six years? You know me well enough to know that it, what I'm about to say is sincere. I am so proud of the team and culture that we've built here, the crew that exists, the community that is Atlas RTX. I, I, I learned so much participating in that process, uh, but I, I couldn't be more proud of, of the folks who are in it. And I, I know that many of us as CEOs say this, but I swear I mean it in a very deep level. The, the, the people who have impacted me and this team are what made this whole process uh, so special. You know, I, I was fortunate enough to you invited me in to that community several times Absolutely. and I was grateful to be part of it. And, and I walked away just super impressed with the team that you had, their passion for the business and the community that you're building. I remember being at your office, you know, after work hours uh, several times and, and, and 
going, what's going on here? People are hanging out. They're all hanging around. They yeah. like each other, right? <laughs> and, and, and so, you know, was that a priori? Did you say, this is what I want to do? Did you fall into it and, and, and get a couple of kind of culture leaders that, uh, you know, inspired the rest? But, you know, how, how did, was that something you said I'm going to do coming in? Did it evolve? How did that become such an important North Star for you? I appreciate that question. Again, it's very core to what I care about. I I now believe uh, in my 50s, I now believe that you uh, you hire culture, you don't create culture, you don't enforce culture. Um, you hire uh, you hire people who have the attributes that you want, and that's how you create the ingredients of culture. And it's really, really hard to do that when you inherit a team. Mm -hmm. if you inherit a thousand person team, that is the culture. You're, 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 yeah. Yes, you can sort of mandate and shift and you know try to change it over time, but you you um, you can't really form it. And and uh, it was such a privilege to be able to start at zero and say, I'm I'm going to bring in people who have the criteria I care about. And your next question would likely be, well, how do you pick these criteria? Mm -hmm. And uh, it's a very simple, silly process for me. Uh, as uh, for for me, it was what are the three or four things that drove me nuts about people I hired over my career? <laughs> you did the and, anti, the and anti. I did test. the anti. I want exactly the opposite of that, and that's how we came up with happy, humble, hungry, and horsepower. The four H's, as we call them, we all know them uh, uh, like the backs of our hands. I think you feel it, and I'm so proud to say that when people come into our building. They tell us it feels different here. It, it feels like this is a group of people that all cares not just about one another, but about me as a visitor. And they're kind to me and they're polite mm -hmm. and they're em empathetic and so smart. They were so clearly excited to be there. You know, you. It, it just, it, you walked out of there going, that group has got something going on. And it made you curious as, a, as an outsider saying, what's going on there? And, and, and I guess, what we're doing is we're describing the 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 invisible elements of culture right but, but okay so your your formula was you hire for the traits and so happy hungry humble and horsepower exactly. you were annoyed what 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 are the antis the the, the grumpy, <laughs> the, grumpy oh, the, exactly. uh, the, the, the 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 proud and vain the, the people with with the uh, with, with low horsepower i mean you, know, you have a story or two you want to share that uh, absolutely find one of your one of your traits and, and I, I think this uh, th this is a, you know one of the I'm sure many sensitive topics will uh, politically sensitive topics we'll talk about, but I <laughs> no love names. those. It no makes names. it makes it interesting. Um, I you know we all have bad days, we all have bad weeks, we even have bad seasons in our lives, and that's okay. But there are those of us who are uh, more inclined to the happy, the optimism, the optimistic, and yep. those of us who are more inclined the other way, and and. Uh, I really struggled with folks who were always down, where the glass was always half empty. No matter what I did, I couldn't right. make them happy. And That's I just decided right? it's exhausting. I don't have the time or energy when there are so many other people who are the opposite. So let me just invest in those. And if you're an unhappy person, bluntly and perhaps a bit rudely, just go be unhappy somewhere else. Lots of other places to go be unhappy, <laughs> That's right. but That's please right. don't bring the unhappiness to my team. And and when you're building a team from scratch, you like you said, you have the privilege and the opportunity to build that, that operating culture. Exactly, exactly. 
the same applies to humility and and hunger. I think uh, you know, without belaboring those, humility is around. I think you've seen this. Perhaps the toughest thing with very very smart people is adding in humility. Hubris right. is is tough to overcome when you're very very smart. So it's that rare combination of horsepower, the last yeah. H, <clears throat> but with humility. With humility, that's right. That's a it's and, a unique uh, combination, and it's often and often anti correlated. You're exactly right. And then hunger, uh, you know, as someone who was starting the company, and as we just discussed, I'm writing checks from our personal checking account. I mean, yeah. early on, I would literally payroll wow. was, all right, here's a check from me to you. Wow. Um, and let me tell you, when it's your bank account, you suddenly go, is this person hungry enough? Are, are they working hard enough? I don't want to pay for someone who's not working hard enough. And again, blunt as that may sound. It's I'm I'm paying out of my family's savings. Right. So I have to be real to an end it makes degree. It very real. Exactly. So I, I I figured we're going to work hard. I need people who know, and that's in their nature. They want to come in and build and 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 grow and work hard. And that's what we refer to as hungry. Um, and it's really hard to infuse that into someone who isn't. That's right. Now, were these hiring characteristics or values or both? Or was it part of your hiring process specifically, or were these the values of your culture? Uh, they're both, but they're uh, you're bringing up the very, very important point, which is now I don't even, I'm not involved in the hiring process. We have a culture committee of colleagues who evaluate every candidate on those four H's. So it is part and parcel of our process. It's not just something we talk about or just have signs on the wall, posters on the wall that say it. Uh, this is a, a part of our architecture. And when mm -hmm. we recognize a colleague once a quarter, we pick the colleague who epitomizes those four H's as judged by their, as nominated by their peers. Uh, and you celebrate, you celebrate them. So you recognize we celebrate. them, you hire for them, you celebrate them. Do you promote? Is it part of your promotion and, and, and career progression process? Uh, absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, if you have someone who uh, embodies the four H's, I surround them with the two or three new colleagues because th th they're going to instill the importance of those four H's. Mm -hmm. Not everybody comes in completely believing of not. No, or of buying not. into the culture. So they kind of come in and and you you sort of sense the raw ingredients and 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 then you uh you, you pull them in. But I'd love to hear your thoughts on this matter because you've you've built community all over the place. I'd, I'd love your 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 thoughts. Did you have sort of tangential approaches like that or well I, I I've never you know I, I, I would say that I, I was always super impressed with how intense you guys were around the hiring and bringing culture into the hiring. And I've been at some places that have done that. You know, McKinsey and Company comes to mind, and that they were so oh, yeah. intense. It was almost a competitive advantage. Was like who they hired, right? But it was it was hard to do. I don't know if I, I, I we've incorporated culture into into hiring, but not as much as as, as you guys did. Um, I think that you know the community side is where I wanted to go next, and I think that's where I have some some things to share that I think are are similar. I, I remember when we were at Vacation Roost Leisure Link. You, know, mm. you and I were talking the other day about about the the softball team that we had. That's and right. At first, it just started as you know because because you said earlier you know when you inherit a team we had inherited a team and we'd hired some people and we were trying to bring them together, and this was a, a an experience that they had been doing just a few people casually, and then uh, when George and I got involved we said okay well let's get involved in that and so we started going and more and more people started going and 
eventually we ended up having 50 people on a Wednesday afternoon at the softball game. There might have only been 15 people playing, but there were people going to the softball game that weren't playing. People were bringing their friends. People were bringing their parents. Oh, and, and ultimately, we ended up having to cook for everybody. So we ended up having these big barbecues where it became like this giant feast. And, and you know me. That's what I love to do. I love to host and cook. I'm Italian. And, and that was the moment where I, I, I think I resonate a little bit with your, with your obvious pride at Atlas RTX, where I said, people want to be here. This is It's 7 o'clock on a Wednesday night. They don't have to be here. But they decided they want to be there because they really uh, created valuable relationships with their colleagues. They were excited about being there. They were excited about sharing it with their network. And, and that, that drove us through some incredibly challenging times where, you know, we talked about going up and down with business cycles and, and we were going through some of those, but man, we had a, had built the community and the culture that allowed us to ride through those. And that was definitely a competitive advantage. It's hard to describe in dollars and cents, but I could tell you it was there as, as tangible as night and day. I, I couldn't agree more. And I appreciate your sort of clarifying that we're not talking about staying in the office until 7.30 working. We're talking about they're together going on a bike ride or they're together going to play pickleball or they're together having a drink. or uh, I mean, that sense of community and the impact it has on the ability of that team, the intimacy that's created in that community is is the superpower that allows them to go through really difficult things. As I completely agree. Completely. That's right. And, you know, that, that brings up another point, you know, that my experience I'm describing was about 10 years ago, we were in the office. This was something we'd go to a local ball field and play. Um, COVID, you know, yeah. I'm, I'm talking to you from my home office. Uh, yes. I, my, my, my last company I was at, you know, the, the executive team was remote in five different cities. Um, harder and harder to do. You, 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 you have a perspective on that. You took a pretty unique stand. <laughs> Tell us about that. So uh, th this is uh, this is religious war talk we're about to, uh, to to enter here because this is probably the most uh, tense debate out there uh, at the moment and and I'll tell you I've thought a lot about the remote work virtual uh, world that we've uh, just experienced and for some perspective before I go into that uh, we were an essentially virtual company early on we. Again, we were trying to be very sensible with our in, with our money, so we we didn't spend on fancy office spaces or anything like that. Were you at Star? Were you at Starbucks offices? Where, where, uh, where, exactly. Where <laughs> we we were at uh, you know shout out to uh, Larry Gilbert at Event Network for kindly, who was also on our advisory board, kindly allowing us to leverage their conference rooms from time to time. Or Pando Labs. Uh, here in Park City now called Pando. Yeah, that was a true, true incubator. So you were incubated yeah. at Pando Labs? We were incubated at Pando, exactly, at Pando Labs at the time. Um, so thank you so much to the ecosystem here. We were able to be essentially virtual with with some support from co-working spaces and, and so on. And then the irony is when COVID happened, and I quickly recognized the impact it had on the team, the fact that we were not able to get together anymore, mm -hmm. um, uh, and the fact that everybody, I think you know this about me, I love going against the herd, as, as I frequently yes, say. Yes, you're an independent Every, thinker, for sure. Everybody else was going virtual. Everybody else was abandoning office spaces. So there were office spaces everywhere for bargains. So I'm like, this is the chance. This is when we're going to go lock down a really nice, one of the nicest office spaces we could find in the Park City area. And we've since moved and gotten an even bigger space. But uh, um, we actually secured an office space uh, uh, and we were all back in the office starting in June of 2020 
with COVID precautions, with social distancing, with a physician guiding us through uh, the, 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 you know, the necessary precautions we had to take. And it was truly what I believe to have been a, a critical moment for us. And I think my team would agree, those who went through that with us will say, my gosh, the experience was materially different because we were able to do that. That is courageous. I remember how scared everyone was at the time and Absolutely. biggest companies in the world shutting down and, you know, super important, super important to hear after you talked about your community building and, and having to see that. I can understand that why that was so important. But yeah, definitely worth remembering. That was pretty unique and pretty different. Uh, it was it was scary, uh, but we calculated uh, everything, every decision we made was was based on 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 calculated assessment. So absolutely. So tell me about one of the bigger challenges, one of the one of the harder things you had to overcome. That you know maybe if you were going back, had a chance to do it differently, you 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 might uh, take a different approach, or, or or just maybe just one of the challenges you 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 overcome that was. I'll 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 tell you, Julian, and, and you know we talked about this some time ago, but. Sincerely, it's probably the biggest epiphany for me uh, about myself and about the challenges that I went through. And it was the challenge of having to wear multiple hats mm -hmm. as a founder. Um, and I had never thought about that before. So I, I feel like there are three hats. There's the founder hat, the CEO hat, and the investor hat. All right. Tell me a little bit more about those three different roles. And I, I will absolutely do that because you see the world completely differently. I want to be, I want to only have the founder hat on. The mm -hmm. founder hat represents sort of a grandparent role. Hey okay. kids, come to my house. I will spoil you rotten. <laughs> I don't care what the parents say, right? I want you to be happy. You want to play outside, play outside. You want to eat chocolate, eat chocolate. I want- Eat dessert first. Dog. Exactly. Eat dessert first. Um, and as a founder, I so wanted that. I, I wanted to uh, bring in the uh, people who deserved it. Maybe mm -hmm. they were underqualified, but they deserved a chance. Um, that's what a founder that's would do. That's one of the most rewarding things you can do and as a leader. So, isn't it? What you want to do. Yeah, absolutely. Like you see someone, no one else is giving them a chance. They need it. They beg you for it. And you say, I will give you a chance. Right. That's what a founder does. You put on the CEO hat and the world changes quite a bit because a CEO wants to hire the most qualified, maybe not the most deserving, but the most qualified because it's better for the business. Right. The Ruthless CEO, efficiency. Exactly. The CEO is more like the parent role, not the grandparent, but the parent. They have to tell you things you don't want to hear. Our teenage kids hear things from us they don't want to hear. But as a parent, we have to tell them that. It's our right. job because the grandparents aren't going to tell them. The CEO is a tough role because the CEO then is, you know, the buck stops there. You make the hard decisions. You make the hard decisions. It's an unpopular place to be, but your other shoulder wants the other hat so badly, the founder hat. Right. Finally, you go to the investor side and it just removes everything. The investor, it's, it's an investment. This isn't about people. This Who's is the investor? About, the investor is the bank, the bank hat. <laughs> exactly. It'd be the, the, technically the venture capitalist yeah. or, or private equity, the, the, the growth equity person who's giving you money. Um, it's, I'm not saying that those are bad people. It's just their perspective is, hey, I have LPs. I have money that I have to create a return on. This is about return. This isn't right. about- There's, a, there's a formula and a calculus that they can 
be pretty strict on that makes them less empathetic, certainly very far from the grandfather role and, and even further from the CEO role. Exactly, exactly. So the, the, you know, words like culture, yeah, they're cute and great, but just give me a return. As long as you're giving me a return, you know, whatever culture you want is fine. So it's a struggle. I think it's easier, much, much easier, an order of magnitudes easier for us to wear a single hat. If I'm a hired gun CEO, it's not my money that I've invested and I didn't found the company, I'm there to help. That's a, that's, that's doable. Uh, I understand my role. You take on two becomes much harder. You take on all three and it is truly a struggle. And some of the biggest pain that I've gone through were um, making decisions as a founder to help people, but making likewise decisions as a CEO towards those people down the road that made them mad or angry mm -hmm. at and I think you know me well enough to know how much I'd struggle with that because yeah. I wanted just to be the founder, but I'm so sorry that I have to give you this feedback or I have to push you to change or I have to tell you that if you don't grow in this way, it's not working out. Um, so to have people that you truly wanted to help and really give a chance to and, and that really meant a lot to you now be angry at the CEO, you mm -hmm. was right. really, really tough for me to go through. Yeah, you have to make those tough decisions as the CEO, and you want to be the the, the founder, grandparent, and you know you're all all three in one in this case, being a bootstrap. I exactly that resonates with me a lot. I understand what you're saying, and that's what makes it one of the toughest jobs. I uh, sincerely, uh, uh, I, I don't mean to belabor this point, but I think this was easily the hardest thing for me to deal with for eight years now. Uh, we're, we're coming in on closing our eighth year. Um, uh, in the company's history and, and uh, easily that's the hardest. I, so I, my aspiration is to be just the founder. Now, as we, I no longer own the company, so I'm no longer the investor, but I'm still the CEO and the, and the founder, um, you know, the, as the team uh, is able to stand on their feet as my right hand, whom you know well, who was our former president, is running more and more of the company. You know, my aspiration is, can I be the grandparent now? Can I can mm -hmm. I get to the point where I'm the grandparent and yes. go to Mike to ask for permission? And I just right. uh, named Mike. Come to me if you want candy. I'll give you yeah. the candy. <laughs> so. Well, I think that's articulated so well. The, the role, I, I keep saying grandparent and parent and investor. I think you've really defined something there that, you know, I, I guess being the bootstrap company, you had to wear all three hats and you've had time to reflect on it. And it's so powerful. And I think, Understanding that even if they're three different people, it's 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 helpful to to manage the dynamic amongst the three. You've had you've bet it all as one person. Sometimes it's two, but huge huge uh, huge lesson there. And I can see what what a, what a challenge that that presented. Well, but Sam, what's 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 Thank next you. for you? Uh, you're you're still at, at Nice work, working for them. Um, yes. What, uh, what's the future future uh, for for Basam? You know, the, the final stage that I'd love to see now that we've had the good fortune of uh, being acquired is just having this uh, entity integrate and flourish within NICE. Um, I, I really, um, I want to see the, the company be able to stand on its own two feet successfully while growing and, uh, and hitting targets and hitting its objectives. Uh, so I, I'd, I'd, like to, uh, I'd like to see that through. And then my my dream is to now that I have experienced it firsthand, I'd love to one day be able to go back and uh, 
um, help entrepreneurs, teach entrepreneurs, be a professor in industry with firsthand experience, knowing what they're going through uh, each minute of, of the stages that they're going through. Well, you're going to you're going to be an incredibly valuable teacher, and I look forward to uh, to helping you with that. Thank you for your time this morning, Basam. It's been really valuable. Thank you so much, Julian. Thanks for everything. Have a great day. Terrific. Thank you for listening to the Growth Elevated Leadership Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, would you please follow us and subscribe on your favorite podcast player? And we'd be grateful if you recommend it to a friend. If you'd like more resources on how to become a better leader in business, we invite you to visit us at growthelevated.com. We'll be back next week with more insight from another great tech leader. Thank you.